Now, what we're going to be looking at today is feedback from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. Uh, we won't take the time to look at chapter 1 of Revelation, but it's a, an extraordinarily powerful picture of Jesus ruling, and it's that powerful ruling Jesus who has a message to the messengers to take to each of these seven churches. And we're going to focus on chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, the feedback to the church in Ephesus. And our feedback is pretty important. Sometimes we don't like receiving it. Uh, I rely very heavily on feedback. Uh, I receive feedback as to what's going on in my body uh, once a quarter. Every three months I, I go to the IMED radiology down at Port. Uh, I have a CT scan from my head down to my pelvis and it tells me if there's been any changes that are observable. Uh, I look forward to that, not because uh, I want to see anything observable, but I want to know the truth. Because it's only in knowing the truth that you can work out what to do. Jesus will give feedback that is absolutely truthful. But what you're going to see as we have a look at this is he doesn't hold back. And it's very powerful feedback. Uh, there are a number of things that he commends the church for, but fundamentally it seems to be a message that is critical of the church in Ephesus. And I want to have a look at it. We'll move fairly quickly through this. But first of all, we need to realise that Jesus commends the church for some things. Uh, I've characterised them here in your handouts as he commends them for their hard work, for being hardcore and for being hardline. I mean, here is a church that you see that is uh, involved with deeds that are known, hard work that's known, perseverance that is known. Uh, it's a church with a reputation for getting on with doing things. They're busy, they're active. Here's a church that's not complacent, uh, it's not in maintenance mode, presumably it's active, it's committed and it's moving forward. You see also that they persevere uh, amongst the difficulties that will invariably be thrown up for churches. Uh, they take a firm uh, line on various issues. You notice that they don't tolerate wicked people and those who claim to be apostles but actually aren't. So they're committed to truth. They won't tolerate people who are putting on a show, people who have fake credentials, people who have a message that's not actually truthful. Um, they're hard line on these things. And indeed, down in verse 6, they have this in their favour. They hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus also hates. Now, it doesn't say they hate the Nicolaitans. Uh, we don't know who the Nicolaitans were or exactly what they were doing. But we get this sense that here's a church that's hardcore, it's committed, um, it's working hard at what it's doing, and it won't tolerate falsehood or people seeking to bring falsehood into the church. So that's the commendation. But it's almost like that feedback that's just waiting for the butt. You know, that sandwich that you get with the feedback, start with something positive, then give them what you really want to give them, and then a little bit of positive just to finish it. Well, Jesus has some strong words for the church in Ephesus. Uh, we see them quite clearly here in verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. Let's pause for a minute. To be the recipient of this letter, knowing that the author of this letter was none other than the king of the whole universe. Whoa. 
to hear Jesus say, I hold this against you. I mean, whatever it is, uh, I, even as I say this, I, I can feel the goosebumps and the chills in the back of my neck. To have the creator and redeemer of the universe say, I hold this against you. Uh, I take it you'd want to listen. You want to listen up big time. And I don't know what they did. But what does Jesus have to say? He says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, Jesus says. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, uh, we skipped over chapter 1. We're told that there are images that are at work and the lampstand is the image of the church. So what Jesus is saying is, I hold this against you. you. You've forgotten the love that you had at first. What you need to do is repent. You need to change because if you do not change, I'm going to come and remove the lampstand. In other words, this church doesn't have a future. There will be no church in Ephesus if Jesus delivers on what he's promised here. So it's pretty significant, but I want to give you a little bit of a taste uh, as to what the history behind this has been. Because you might have picked up on this. This is a letter to the church in Ephesus. It's not the first letter to the church in Ephesus that we read in the Bible. Paul had already written a letter to the church in Ephesus. And, and we've been dipping into that letter many times through this series. I'm going to take you to Ephesians uh, and I'll read out a few verses so you can get a sense of this. Our topic, a verse, if you like, for this whole series was the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. Let me read it to you. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how high and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So here is Paul's prayer. Here is what we have been praying for ourselves, for Salt Church. Uh, that we might grasp the love of God, that we might understand the incomprehensible and that this will focus our minds on what God has done for us so that it will flow into our minds, into our hearts, into our whole being in response to God. We see that love is a key theme uh, in this letter to the Ephesians. In love he predestined, uh, this grace is given in the one he loves. And in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul, as he writes back to the Ephesians, has heard that they have a reputation for being genuinely faithful and genuinely loving. That's good feedback. Paul's encouraged by that. And so he, he prays that they might have that more and more, that it will continue, that it will be transforming them every day. And as we move on in the letter, in chapter 4, he says, uh, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Down a little further in verse 15, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, when Jesus gives feedback to the church, possibly 20 or so years later, their hard work is known. Presumably their building activity is known. Their commitment to the truth is known, but they've forgotten the love. It's no longer truth and love held together building the church. It's perhaps truth, but where is love? Jesus has much to say. As Paul wrote, follow God's example, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love as Christ loved us. Or down a little further, he says to husbands, love their wives, to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. He must love his wife as he loves himself, and so on. And then we get into chapter 6. In fact, let me take you to the last two verses of the letter. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. How the mighty have fallen. Here is the Apostle Paul who'd spent a significant amount of time with the Ephesians who gathered together with the elders uh, in Acts chapter 20 and called upon them not to lose sight of the grace of God, to keep building each other in the truth and in love. Here he's writing to them and he's encouraged by them. And he's pushing them again to remember God's love for them, God's love in Christ, and to let that transform the way that they live, to walk in the love of Christ, to love one another. To be committed to that love and he finishes his letter with grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love and now Jesus has to say in Revelation chapter 2 I hold this against you you have forgotten your first love friends I think this is a case study that we need to take heed of we have come to the end of a series on love. We've spent 10 weeks looking at love. In some ways, we've been through the experience of hearing Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We've been encouraged by the love of God shown in Christ. We've been motivated, compelled to share the love of Christ with others. God's called us to love him with all of our soul and strength and might, with our whole being. We're to love our neighbours ourselves. We love our enemies. We're to speak the truth in love, to build each other. And we've been told in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we might be active and visible and doing all sorts of things. We might have the most extraordinary gifts in our mix, but if we don't have love, then we've got nothing. And it seems like that's what's happened in Ephesus. They're missing the love. So, as we come to the end of this series, it's a call for us to keep remembering God's love for us in Christ. And it's a call to repent. And, and 
I want to spend a little bit of time on this call to repent because we can get it so wrong if we don't understand what's going on. You see, you and I will probably, if we're honest, uh, in a couple of weeks' time on New Year's Eve as we reflect on what the year's been like and what we hope to do next year, have a resolve to be more loving towards someone or some people. We'll probably know that we need to change. It might be the people that are closest to us that we just want to strengthen and invest in that relationship with the husband or the wife or the, the parents or the child or, or the colleague or somebody in our street. There may be tension where we know that we need to repent because we know that we're not being as loving as God calls us to be. And the danger is that we think repenting is gritting our teeth and working harder. We think it's about turning over a new leaf. We think it's something that we can control. We, we think that it's simply repenting towards that person. So if I've not loved Fiona the way that God calls me to love Fiona, then, then I need to repent by being more committed to loving Fiona. But that won't get me anywhere. Because that's not true repentance. True repentance is always towards God. It's always towards God. Sin, at its heart, is turning away from God. Yes, it has its impact on the way we treat each other. Absolutely. But we never overcome it by just changing the way that we treat each other. We overcome it by turning back towards God. And, and if we are to repent like the church in Ephesus was to repent, we need to remember God and God's love for us in Christ. And that's how we repent. It's by turning from whatever we're not doing and whatever we are doing that we shouldn't be doing to God and his love for us in Christ. And as we do that, you know what happens? He fills our heart to continue to love those around us. You try and work out it yourself and leave God out of the picture, well, good luck. You'll either be a very effective legalist and hypocrite, or you'll fail. In fact, both of them are a failure. But you turn to Christ and his love on the cross. You, you place your vision toward the Father who gave his Son for you, you rest in the God who wants to dwell among you and in you by his spirit. You turn back to God and it's how God fills us to love one another. That's why we started this series back with God's love for us demonstrated in Christ. And we've come full circle. And when we fail, then we look back to what God has done for us. And we will fail. And we must keep looking. And do it in a, in ahead of time. Do it proactively. Keep looking at God's love for you in Christ day by day. Pray that God's daily mercies will touch your heart and God's daily mercies stem from the cross, from God's love demonstrated by Christ dying in your place. Circumstances, they come and they go. They're good and they're bad. But the full, absolute, non-changing love of God is secured at the cross. So look there, look back there. And as we think about salt moving forward into a new year, God willing into a new decade, maybe multiple decades, 
Let's pray that God won't remove the lampstand. Let's pray that we won't have something that Christ holds against us, our lack of love. But let's keep repenting and turning back to God. And if we have a reputation for love, let it be deserved. Because God is genuinely at work. Because we're nothing without love. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we ask that you'll help us to keep turning to you, to keep looking at the scriptures and being filled afresh with the reminder that you love us deeply, that you've given your son to die for us, that you've, you've made a home in us by your spirit. And we pray that resting in that wonder, that you'll give us the will and give us the ability to love in response, to love you, to love one another, to love our families, to love our church, to love our community, to love our enemy. Father, we pray that people will know that we are Christians by the love that we have one for another and that they will be moved to glorify you.